Welcome and happy Friday. It's June 3rd, 2016. Welcome to the summer of 2016. This is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here with Jaina Maleri. Jaina is our style editor, our digital style editor. She's also a producer of the podcast, and this is her final podcast because Jaina <laughs> is leaving us. We are Aww. deeply Sorry, saddened, dude. deeply unhappy. She's actually been a podcast regular guest as well. And so Jaina is leaving. This is her last day at Traveler. Um, we have tissues on the desk <laughs> appropriately. And Jaina is actually going to a great gig, so we're, we're sad happy. We're sad happy at Traveler because Jaina is going to go be the editorial director at Madewell. Yay. It's true. Congratulations. Yay, but sad. And this is like a dream job for Jaina. She's going to be awesome. And we are going to watch her just soar to the stars. But we'll be sad for a while. And I can come back and I can do guest appearances where I remind all of you guys to be nice on planes when you're trying to recline your seat. Into Damn straight. <laughs> you are the advocate of nice. Also, I think maybe in September we might have to have you back. That's fine. And maybe you can even guest host again. Okay, that sounds good. Yes. We also have podcast newbie, I think, Sebastian Modak. Hello. Who's an editor for our site. And Laura Redman, who is our newly appointed digital deputy director. We, had, we have many director-type people here. And we have Brett Fuchs, who's our engineer. Shout out to Brett. Hi, Brett. Hi, Brett. Yay, hi, Brett. Brett's awesome. Okay. So this week, the topic of the week, appropriately enough, it's European travel season. People have been planning this for months, and um, it's now June. Everybody is hitting the road, heading to Europe. And Europe is crazy. Europe has gone mad. A little more than usual. Yes. Yes, more than usual. Europe's always a little crazy. That's why we love them. But the last couple of weeks, things have gone just kind of off the charts. So I don't even know where to begin. Why don't we begin in France? Because it seems like France is the epicenter of crazy right now. Sebastian, you wrote a little bit about the strikes that are going on there this past week. Tell us about that. It's complicated, as all things involving labor in France are. Um, (laughs) It started about a week ago, maybe a little more, with... Did they go to a 36-and-a-half-hour work week? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one of the things on the agenda. But they started with a general fuel strike. So fuel workers went on strike in response to a law that Francois Hollande passed without going through the proper parliamentary channels that made it easier to hire and fire workers. So one of the first things they did was they started blockading all the oil refineries in France. Long story short, trucks can't get to the pumps and pumps are running out of gas and there are queues, hundreds of cars long in France, people trying to fill up. There's gas stations that are completely empty. There are gas stations that are rationing out the amount of fuel that cars can fill up with to 20 liters. And there isn't really an end in sight. This is a place where it's worth noting for anybody who's spent time in France that France is about the closest thing Europe has to an American car culture. Like people drive in France and the highways are really good. I mean, they're good all over Europe, but in France... In Germany, too. In Germany, they're great, too, sure. If you're an American who's used to traveling around the United States, you go to France and you rent a car and you drive around all over the country, you're going to feel very much at home, more so than in Italy, for example. And so this has a huge impact on summertime in France. Yeah, and I think, and not only that, I mean, a lot of the press has been coming from British media outlets because it's like prime British vacation season where a lot of people are coming into the mainland and taking road trips through France. And there have been a lot of stories about British tourists who are essentially stranded right now trying to get out. 
And then on top of that, in the past week or so, there have been more widespread transport strikes because so wait, of related legislation. Railway? Railway, flight. There's been strikes from air traffic controllers from next week. Apparently, they're threatened, the pilots are threatening to go on strike just in time for Fantastic. Euro 2016, which we'll get to. <laughs> so basically, a lot of things are transportation-related are kind of at a standstill right now. Getting France. around France, not easy it's to not do It's not easy right now. Right now. Because okay. in addition, it's been raining a lot. Right. It's oh, completely okay. underwater. <laughs> Six straight days of rain, right, in France and Germany. And there's crazy, crazy floods right now. I'm actually a little nervous. Yeah, so tell us about your boat trip yeah, coming so. up. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband and I are supposed to be renting a fun German-engineered car and driving around Bavaria next week. And I'm still going. I'm not going to stop. But um, it's just going to be a German-engineered boat. Yes, exactly. So maybe a duck boat of sorts. Maybe um, a submarine. Maybe. <gasps> Fun. I don't have a license for that though. That's okay. It's Europe. It is right. It is a fairly devastating thing right now. I mean, some of the photos of Bavaria and east of Munich and throughout France as well. The floods in Paris are affecting some major tourist attractions. So we uh, wrote today about the Seine flooding. The city and the Louvre and Musée d'Orsay are both closed right now. They are going to be closed at least through Friday because um, they are trying to move some of the paintings in the reserves in the basements and such. So they need to get things to higher ground right now. So if you're going to France this week and you're planning to go to the Louvre or the Musée d'Orsay, you are going to have to wait till Saturday. Yeah, at, at least. least. At least. Till and Saturday. if you're trying to get from one city to another, I guess we'd recommend you walk because <laughs> other other options are limited. Okay. Robo? And, and, and does, none of this has anything to do with the travel alert that just got issued this week. No. This is just like the icing on the cake for France and for Europe. So there was a travel alert that was issued by the State Department earlier this summer that was uh, initially set to expire in June, on June 20th. But on Tuesday, the State Department issued a new alert that goes all the way through August 31st, so basically all of summer, for all of Europe. So what does that mean, travel alert? Yeah, so the State Department issues kind of two kinds of advisories for Mm -hmm. travel. One is the travel warning, which is for places where they're basically saying, don't go at all. I mean, this is for places that are war zones or North Korea, you know, places like that. And then they have travel alerts that they issue that are more short-term and about, you know, centered on specific events Mm -hmm. that might make the place a larger target for terrorism. So in this case, the new travel alert is related to a bunch of things that are going on in Europe this summer, namely the Euro Cup, the huge, you know, European soccer tournament that starts in eight days Mm -hmm. in, of all places, France. Excellent. and there's been a lot of they're talk. They're wearing galoshes. <laughs> yeah. Wearing galoshes, and I'm not sure how they're going to be getting to the stadiums or how things are going to be powered. Right. And when is the Euro Cup? The Euro Cup is what June 10th, 10th, I believe, to July. Till July 10th. So, yeah, July it's a month. 10th. so it's a full month, mm-hmm. and it starts in eight days or nine days, seven days. And a I week. mean, like again, this is this is prime Europe summer because August everything in Europe shuts down. Like, tourism is all external, but in June and July, this is when Europeans themselves are out on vacation. Right. So they're expecting a million people in France just for the Euro Cup. There's also the Tour de France starting on July 2nd, I believe. I think that's, yeah, 2nd to the 24th. And then after that is uh, the Catholic Church's World Youth Day, which is bringing an estimated 2.5 million people to Krakow 
for, I guess, several days of the World Youth Day, uh, July 26th to the 31st. So it's a very busy time yeah. right now for Europe. But I think at the end of the day, though, I mean, that doesn't mean we don't go, right? Uh, I yeah. mean, just because there's going to be a lot of people there. We live in a city where there are millions of people, you know, and... I think like I'm not going to cancel my trip to Bavaria and that's kind of a message we've been hammering all year things happen right and we can't really let things that we can't plan for change how we react right so I think in this case yes there are strikes it will be more difficult you just plan accordingly yeah honestly though like this is the thing that anybody who goes to Europe there strikes all the time right, right. Like airstrikes, especially in in France and in Spain and in Italy, like you run the risk of some sort of taxi strike, some sort of rail strike. They just happen all the time. It's just part of life there. And that's why you get travel insurance when you go to Europe. Do you really? No, travel I'm saying insurance? you should when you go to Europe. Did you? I did. Yeah, I did. You got travel insurance just for my for flights, those kinds of for things? my flights and things like that. Really? Because I mean, I've had numerous experiences in Europe where, yeah, flights were canceled because of some strike. So tell and people how what, what's the deal there. How do they go about doing that? I think there's a bunch of different places that do it. One of them is Alliance Global Assistance, actually, which I believe they might have some sort of plans that also cover cases of you know terrorism or right. other emergencies like that. And it's one of the things that State Department has been advising you do if you if you are going to Europe is make sure you have pretty comprehensive insurance as well as, you know, the usual things of registering with the local embassies so they know you're there, mm-hmm. things did like that. Did you do that? No, I did yeah, not. Yeah, I've never done that. I've never done that. <laughs> I do. I've, do you really? I've been registered for a long time, yeah. When, when I you used, show up, you, you what do you do? No, I used to live abroad, so I just made sure that the embassy where I was living knew all of my important information. So if I plan to be somewhere for longer than, like, a couple days, I'll register. And but, so when you're going to Munich, are you going to register? Probably not because I'll be there for four days. But given how kind of tenuous things are right now, maybe mm-hmm. I, I should probably consider it. And, you know, now I'm thinking maybe I should get insurance, too. Our ombudsman has written about it multiple times. Yeah. So even if you just Google see on Traveler Insurance, you get a, a number of articles that give you tips on which plans to get, yeah. how far they extend. Not all extend to, um, you know, incidents like terrorism, acts of terrorism. I mean... Gina, you were in Paris during the attack in November, so I yeah. I don't know if and what insurance would have done for you. But. Right. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't have it because obviously it's not the kind of thing that you're anticipating. But I think in instances like that, what's also so interesting and I think will continue to be interesting is the reaction, like the social media component. Because when I was there in the fall, it was for... Airbnb was having their annual conference there, and so it was for the Airbnb Open. Who's going to be our Airbnb correspondent when you leave? You'll have to pick someone. Yeah, it's a coveted job. It is. (laughs) It's a pretty sweet gig. (laughs) Getting to go stay in those Airbnbs around the world. Sorry, that was levity in the midst Um, of (laughs) fairly. But yeah, darkness. I think it was. It was. It was sort of terrible to be there because as part of the conference, Airbnb put everyone up in various Airbnbs around the city. And we happened to be in the 10th arrondissement and we were really, really close having dinner, um, you know, just 30 second walk from where everything was happening. And, you know, we had just left dinner and we're walking back toward the canal to go back to our apartment. And so we sort of missed everything by we we after everything happened, we sort of took out our receipt from dinner just to see how close we were to everything. And it was something like nine minutes. And the first sort of inkling that we had before we heard sirens, which was what really sort of tipped us off that something was happening, was um, that Airbnb sent an email 
around to everyone and they sort of put their like emergency plan into action and were asking people to go onto their social media and to use a hashtag just to let people know that they were safe. It was my first experience with anything like that. I feel like it will continue. I think it's actually a really good thing. You know, Facebook has that right. mm-hmm. in place Facebook now. is very useful in that regard. I think there were recently, there was an earthquake in Southeast Asia up in Myanmar and I have a, Sebastian and I both had a number of friends. We had no idea we had that many friends in Myanmar, but they were, were both like, "What? Where do these people come from?" Right. Yeah. You get an alert if your friend posts that they are safe. Right. Which, which is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I mean, I'm not on Facebook, um, which I know makes me sound I don't know what old, out of touch. Um, <laughs> but you but, are on Snapchat, so it balances it out. Yes, exactly. I'm super active on Snapchat. But also, I think that it was the first instance where the majority of people who I was communicating with when everything was happening, just to just in terms of letting people know that I was safe, was on Instagram. Just because I had posted, mm-hmm. you know, a photo from either the day before or earlier in the day, but it was. Like, you know, you geotag, and so it was tagged in the 10th arrondissement, and so I think people were sort of putting it together, and I was getting just comment after comment after comment, just people saying, just let us know that you're okay, and so, you know. I've and never- there were other uses as well. There was the hashtag that, was, what was the hashtag to let people know that they could come in and stay at your place or seek refuge in your place? Right, Airbnb had... Um, well, I can, oh, yeah, I'm let me ask Google. Yes, right, we have to ask. ask. The internet. But in the meantime, I'll say one of the other sort of consistent recommendations that I've seen about traveling to Europe in lieu of just saying I'm not going to go to Europe because of these warnings is to invest in that international data plan Yeah. or like get a local SIM card. I mean, I was of the philosophy until recently of when I traveled, I would just like you know, forego the phone and just figure it out. As I went along, it was part of the fun of travel, but now, I mean... I do it. I'll I'll pay for that data plan. What did you do when you went this the, just recently? I got a, just a monthly international data plan, even though I was just gone for two and a half weeks. Yeah, um, I think it's so smart because we didn't have it. And I was in Paris. I was there with my husband, and he's he's a photographer. So I think when we first were hearing that something was happening and it was very close to us, his instinct was, I'm going to go and see what's going on. You stay here, which is what we did. And I didn't have a data plan, so I was, you know, sort of... In the dark. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I had I was I had Wi-Fi where I was. He didn't because he was out on yeah. the street. And so and I think it was sort of like he left, was gone, and then I was checking the news and then realized because we we know what at first we thought was just maybe an isolated incident became very clear that it was much, much, much bigger. And so he was gone. And so I had this like yeah. <laughs> terrible feeling of dread that he was heading right in the direction of the Bataclan where there was still this active hostage situation. And I was in touch with you guys here yeah. in the office with the time difference. You know, I was going to just planning on like checking right. in on what was happening at work. And it was, you know, you guys were sort of updating me a little bit on what was happening. And so it, it's a terrifying feeling of not being able to reach someone because we're so used to being able to reach everyone constantly Constantly. you know but then I didn't want to leave where I was because I didn't want to sort of miss something and like it was I felt sort of like changed because your parents when you were a kid said if we ever lose you stay exactly where you are are. exactly and now it's like exactly where you are is wherever there's like a wi-fi hotspot (laughs) but it's like it's a trade-off because it's like I said I feel like it you know, my philosophy for travel used to be, you know, be in the moment, forget your phone. You don't want to be just like scrolling Facebook when you're in right. some amazing place. But but that's different from text messaging somebody that you're actually traveling with. 
totally. But once you have that data plan, you're going to do both. You know? Right. I mean, gonna, yeah. you know. Your habits won't change as much as they do when you typically go abroad. I think part right. of going abroad, part of the fun is that you can you know, be outside your comfort zone, experience things. You're not going through your daily routine necessarily. Right. And my daily routine is to check my email before I get out of bed. Right. I don't want to do that on vacation. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. It's definitely true. I think but like it's a necessity now. I feel right. Like, totally. Yeah. It's, it's a smart move. I mean, if we can recommend anything, right? If you are still traveling in the next few weeks to France or Germany, you know, maybe get a data plan, maybe consider getting some travel insurance. It's not difficult. Um, I'm a huge advocate of the local sim because you Mm -hmm. tend to get a better deal. You get a lot more data for a lot less money. You have to deal with a little bureaucratic hassle of just sort of going to, you have to go wherever you are to like the Vodafone or the Orange or the But it's usually in the airport. It's really great. I mean, it's usually right there when you get out of the international terminal and it'll take 10 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. We do that because, you know, whenever we go to... Italy, we make sure and get a, what is it, a team? Team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get a team card. I mean, but Vodaf- Vo- not to advocate for one or the other, because I don't care, but like Vodafone's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Orange is through most of Europe. You know, team is only in Italy, but right. it's everywhere in Italy. So the other thing about Europe is that the coverage is just really, really good. And so it kind of doesn't matter which one you choose. You yeah. just pick whatever is the best deal. But you typically get a lot more data. You typically are going to get like a gigabyte a day or something like that. For and, nothing. Know. For like 15 to $25 yeah. Dollars yeah. max yeah. For, the, for the entire time you're yeah. there, which is very good. Do you know, is, it, is it country specific, though? Or is it EU? Can You, you can grow? get both. But here's the thing is you tend to pay more for the ones that let you go across borders. Right. So, I mean, again, it's like you have to decide your own hassle factor. But if you go with AT&T or Verizon or whatever, you're going to pay hundreds of dollars for very little data. Oh, I know. It's super (laughs) convenient. If you're a business traveler, if you can write it, if you can expense it or write it off, fine. Okay, that makes sense. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're just a regular person, you get so much more. Just be willing to deal with the hassle of walking into the store and getting it because the culture there is much more organized around like, you just get a phone and then you just throw a SIM in it. More than we are here. Here, yeah. here, like you bind yourself to a carrier and that's just what we know. There, That's not how they do things. So. Yeah. I remember we talked about it before I left on my most recent trip, but I just got overwhelmed. So I was in like 12 different cities in two weeks or something in eight different countries. And when I was trying to talk through the different roaming plans and stuff, I was just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to buy an American plan. And you're right. It's really expensive to yeah. just buy it with Verizon or whatever. Yeah. T-Mobile is kind of the go-to, right? The one that has the, the best do. international plan. Yeah. If yeah. we may take a stake, I mean, we have a lot of people on our team who advocate for that. Okay. It's good uh, yeah, to know. Brady, Paul Brady is a big advocate of that. And also, I will just give a plug for Google's Project Fi because Project Fi will give you for like paying no more than you pay in the U.S., which is like $10 a gigabyte or something. It's incredibly good. But they will also give you just free coverage. The thing about both T-Mobile and Project Fi is that when you go to Europe, they drop you down to 3G. Hmm. So if you want faster coverage and if you are a photographer, if you are wanting to send massive amounts of data, which you've sort of gotten used to, I'm not a photographer. It doesn't matter to me, but I do take a lot of pictures. And the thing that matters to me is getting like they all get backed up to the cloud. So what happens is it'll sit there just kind of like trying and trying and trying Mm -hmm. and trying and trying. Whereas if you have the 4G connection, it, it goes much faster and it still is cheaper. But these are all really good options. These are all really good, you know, sort of things. I just would encourage people like. Just be brave. Like, it's not that hard. Go spend 15 euros. It's really easy. And if you don't do that and you're in a situation, I think what ultimately happened was that, you know, my husband was gone and he was sort of like, I'll be be back in 30 minutes, which I know him well enough to know. That's an hour, right? Yeah, I mean, no, not going to happen at all, especially if, like, (laughs) there are, you know, 
things happening and it was clear that there were things happening. And eventually after, I, I don't know how long, maybe an hour, an hour and a half, he did just like bite the bullet and turn on roaming and send me a text, yeah. which I really appreciated. Yeah. And I think the safety what, is worth the dollar or whatever yes, that text yes, was. Like, yeah. what, you know, no matter what, it was just good to get. But that's a good point too, right? Is that that's a, that's a fallback. Like you can just go yes. ahead and pay for it. Yes, just turn it on. And just in so an you emergency, could, why not? Absolutely, yes. of course. I mean, it's yeah. absurd to think. You know, when he sent it, there were, and then there was a part of me that was like, ooh, I wonder how expensive that's going to be. But it was also like, oh, I'm so glad that he's yeah. okay because, I, yeah. do, you know, I, I, I figured I was being, you know, optimistic, obviously, and thinking that he was probably fine. And, of course, he was. But it was just good to just oh, have yeah. him say, this is what's happening. I'm with the police and I'll be back in, you know, 30 minutes, which, yeah. of course, is another three hours. <laughs> right. But it was fine. Right. So moral of the story is, I think, stay connected. You know. Yeah, Stay yeah. More, yeah, more than you might have in you know years past. Yeah, totally. And I did find that hashtag we were talking about oh, earlier. Yeah. It's hashtag open house, or po- porte ouvre, which is my bad French pronunciation. But right, that was what was used in Paris, and it was used again in Brussels when the attacks happened there. I think interestingly, we were talking about this earlier. Um, Brussels, unfortunately, has seen a dip in tourism yeah. this year in the aftermath, along with Istanbul, which faced a number of attacks earlier this year. And interestingly, Frankfurt, Germany, has seen a dip. But tourism across Europe is still steady. It is good, especially in Paris. Paris it's up in Paris, right? It's it's like up a little, which is fantastic, you know, given the circumstances and yeah. the, the situation you're talking about, Gina, that you live through. Um, you know, people are brave. It's a really nice thing to see. I, yeah. I think, Seb, you have some of the data, Yeah, right? I got numbers. All right, give us so. numbers, man. Alliance Insurance, the company I was talking about earlier, basically did a study of flight bookings this summer in Europe from American travelers. And basically between Memorial Day and Labor Day, they looked at bookings and they found that actually overall, despite these alerts, despite what may seem in the media as mayhem in Mm -hmm. Europe right now, overall in Europe, its travel is up 9.3%. That's a lot. In Europe as a whole. That is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And how much of that has to do with the fact that flights are cheap? Oh, right. We put up a deal today that was like flights are four hundred to five hundred dollars round trip. Yeah. It made me want to just go buy a flight without even caring. It's which so I think a lot of people yeah. it's like, do. It's like a third of the price. No, if you exactly. Buy at high season, and it was in like August through through Thanksgiving. You can go over the holiday. It's ridiculous. Like that's, and the flights to Ireland right now, by the way, are stupidly cheap. I mean, we talked about, and Dublin. Ireland is one of the places that we are recommending people. There's like that road trip around Ireland that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, the Atlantic Way and also the uh, Northern Coastal Causeway are yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And it looks like people are listening because. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> so Numbers? There's, we are so influential. <laughs> <laughs> there's been, um, basically, as these people have unfortunately stopped going to Istanbul or stopped going to Brussels, found these like huge spikes in other parts of Europe, places like Ireland. So the Dublin and Shannon, Ireland, travel to those places increased by 42.8 and 46.5% wow. respectively. Amazing. Uh, Athens, 42.7% more And this is good. Like going. Greece needs... Yeah, yeah Greece really, really Not only is Greece it. an amazing place, so like right. all of the sort of histrionics aside, but like Greece is an amazing place and they need it. Yeah, and Lisbon also up about that much. Amsterdam also up about that much. Wow. Well, you just, so, you spent a really good weekend in Amsterdam or you said it was one of your favorite places. I mean, it was your... 12 hours, but it was an awesome right, 12 it hours. It felt like a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it felt like a weekend. Um, can we say why you were there? Yeah, we can say why I was there. Right, so, you say why you were there. Um, yeah, so I just came back two weeks ago from a whirlwind of a 
tour. I was playing drums on a European tour for David Duchovny, of all people. And uh, Sebastian is obviously our coolest staff member. <laughs> He's blushing right now. <laughs> blushing. Um, yeah, so I was in, like I said, I think it was 11, maybe 12 cities in little over two weeks, living out of a bus. And I would recommend everyone to travel to Europe right now because it was and, and amazing. And riding a bus with David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> David Duchovny does not take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rest of the band does. Does Willie Nelson take the bus? I Will, feel like Willie Nelson takes Willie the bus. Willie Nelson might have his own bus, though. Yeah, and the rest I think of he's the band like on a bus right, right now, even if he's not on tour. <laughs> he just gets, climbs on the bus, um, sparks it up. So I will say, like, I, I mean, it was obviously a very different experience to most travelers unless you're trying to just do like a breakneck road trip through Europe. But I I mean, I didn't feel unsafe when I was there. Did you feel like other people around you felt unsafe or was there sort of like an atmosphere that felt nervous? There was some nervous, there was a little bit of nervous energy. Especially because you were playing, you know, shows I wonder about. So like, yeah, so I, you know, we were playing venues that, you know, would be compared to Bataclan for instance and like, when I first signed up for the to be on the tour and play in this band, I it hadn't really occurred to me. I didn't yeah, even I was gonna say, did you it. even think about? I it? I didn't even think about it until my mother, of all people, was like, "Wait, aren't you what worried you about playing?" Of all people, people. <laughs> the first only person. person. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Naturally, my mother uh, said, "Aren't you concerned about playing these rock halls after what happened?" And like, it hadn't occurred to me. Um, but I did notice a big. I mean, I don't know if this was always the case in Europe because this is my first time playing really extensively in Europe, but um, there was security, like heavy security at every yeah. show. Not for the band. I mean, we just went right in, but then when I was watching people come in, they were checking every bag, mm-hmm. you know, they were patting people down. Um, Did they have metal detectors anywhere? They didn't. I didn't see any metal detectors, okay. but they were checking bags. Um, they don't have metal detectors at the airports in Europe. Really? They don't? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Security the security <laughs> at MSG is intense enough to be like compared to an airport. Have you ever been to yeah. a concert there? I mean, anyway. So yeah. of all those cities, though, all those experiences were your top two, three. What were they? I think the top two for me were Amsterdam, which was a repeat visit. I'd been there before. Um, and Barcelona, which was my first time in Barcelona. And what, How long were you what a Barcelona? place Barcelona is. Uh, a day and a half. Did you eat at Barmut? I did not, but I ate at another place that was the best meal I've had in years. Um, a place called Vinitus. It was incredible. Just, Where? Uh, Where wish, in town? I wish I could tell you what part of town it was. Oh, come on. Google. He was on the Google bus. Maps. He was on the bus. The bus pulled up. <laughs> I do know. I just, it's, it's escaping me There's right now. There's also this like amazing sandwich shop on the Rambla that is like uh, that is like so like down home old school kind of whatever, but amazing like ham and whatever. Barcelona but yeah, seafood incredible. Yeah, um, of course. Razor clams. Yeah. At this place, Vinitas. It's worth the trip. It's worth the forty-five minute wait I had to eat there. Yeah. So basically, on this tour. Our sort of outlook with food was such that we were being fed most days by the venue. It was catering every night, and it was a lot of bread, cheese, mm. and ham. And even if those hams and those cheeses are really, really you good, go. you get a little yeah. yeah, you get a little tired of you know. Never. That's my daily diet. <laughs> Sixteen days of hamoni bacon, you know. <laughs> um, 
So when we did have a night off where we could actually go to a restaurant, we'd just be like, all right, we're going to ball out. Yes, <laughs> you know, like We're going to go somewhere really good and we're going to order a huge feast and we're really going to enjoy it. So Finitus was one of those places and it did not disappoint at all. Okay. Um, so Barcelona was great. Amsterdam was amazing. And in both those places, it wasn't like, I don't know, we were talking, Laura, about this earlier, but like traveling when you're on tour is like very different in that you have such a short amount of free time in these cities that you're not going to just go like rushing around looking for trying to get into every monument, trying to see every site that like you're used to doing as a traveler. Like I didn't open a guidebook once on this tour. You know, it was more just, you know, like I have two hours. I'm just going to go for a walk. Well, I'm going to see what happens. It I'm is gonna... business travel. It's much like yeah. much more fun yeah. <laughs> business travel. Well, time is the suit. greatest luxury, right? Like, right? We love to say that, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, if I had two hours off in a city, I'd just kind of go for a walk. I'd meet some random people. I'd ask them where they recommend in the neighborhood to eat. I'd go eat there, you know, rather than being like, I'm in Barcelona. I need to go see La Sagrada Familia. I need to go to this place. Yeah. I need to go to this place, you know? Although um, Sagrada I did see Sagrada Familia. It's amazing. Fucking amazing. How, it's how amazing. long did you have to wait to get in? So I did not go in for that oh. very reason. So I had. Oh, come on. Listen, I had a day and a half in that city, and they were going to tell me that I had to wait for three hours if to I get had into to wait, the building. If I had to wait for three quarters of a day to go into that place, I would no. do it. No. No. I think that, no. Is the mo- that is among the most amazing places I've ever three I saw quarters it from of the outside. Have you been inside of it? No, no. I haven't been to Barcelona yet. I haven't I been see, to Barcelona either. But okay. I think if you have okay, a day. Okay, as the only person at this table who's actually been inside the thing i'm telling you it is otherworldly and if you by the time you go there when you go there you will come back to me and you will say right, you were right. so right can Brad. i tell you what i did in the I, two and a half hours instead yeah. of waiting to be allowed yes, in with of course where i would just be like shepherd in with a hundred other tourists not really even enjoying it this is what i did i went for a walk i ended up at la boqueria which is this incredible Food market in Barcelona. Yes, yeah, we've yes. been about yes. you can just, I've been there. Where they shuck oysters right in front of you, yes. and you know it was amazing. Yes, kept on walking, bought a beer at a convenience store. Ended up on La Barceloneta on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Had a beer on the beach uh-huh. on my own. <laughs> and the and, Barcelona. And, and, did you sit in the little the little the little concrete chairs? I did. Yes, yes. and then you must do that. So by the time I had finished that beer. That's when I would have been allowed to go into La Sagrada Familia. Those so are all good fed, things. He's fed and watered at that point. Yeah. And I'm going to tell line. you, you should have gone to Sagrada Familia. Next time. There is nothing like it on planet Earth. The closest thing that I've ever seen like it is actually in Chiapas, in San Juan Chamula, in um, the church in San Juan Chamula. And it's completely like the opposite, but at the same time, it's exactly the same thing, which is that you go into the church in San Juan Chamula, And basically, it's this weird cross-section where the Catholics came, they built a church, they couldn't get anybody to come to the church. So what they did was they put pine needles on the floors, and they made the inside of the church feel like the forest, which was where everybody was used to worshiping. And so you go inside the church in San Juan Chamula, and it feels like you're going into a forest. And it's amazing, and there are candles, and there are like pine needles everywhere. Sagrada Familia felt like that in the sense that like going inside, and now I'm like, going completely like over the top here but it felt like going inside a forest Mm -hmm. and in fact i when i went there at the time that i went there there was also an exhibit in barcelona of uh gaudi's you know people think of gaudi as this kind of like explorer of sort of the the subconscious psyche or something it's not and an eccentric i mean at the end of the day like yes but the thing that i learned is that all of it was botany 
Like、mm. the guy was obsessed、mm-hmm. with botany. He was obsessed with trees and leaves and plants. And so the inside of Sagrada Familia, more than any other cathedral that I've been in, and I've been in many of them all over Europe, feels like you are walking in a man-made forest. It's amazing, and it really did sort of spiritually feel like that as well as kind of look like that, and it's designed to look like that. But that's why you know I would say. Great that you had your beer. The Barceloneta is amazing, but you can also do that in Malaga. You can do that in <laughs> other places. You cannot go anywhere. There is only one Sagrada Familia. But I'm going to go when I have more than a day and a half. Is basically what I'm saying. You yeah, I st- David Duchovny behind. <laughs> I still sort of feel like I would always choose Sebastian's Day over waiting in line. I just had this debate because、yeah. I was in Italy a few weeks ago and I was. In Tuscany, and with a couple of people who had never been to Italy and had never been to Florence, and they had some, they had like same kind of thing. Like I was heading back to the airport, and they were going, but on a later flight, and had five, maybe five and a half hours in Florence, which is a city that I have lived in and know very well and love very deeply. And so it was like this debate on like, what do you do with、When、five and a half?、There? I lived there. In college, college, and I won't、right. say when.、No. Okay. <laughs> But well, I'm curious. What did you tell them to do? So it was interesting because it was this ongoing sort of debate over the course of the trip, leading up to we knew that we were going to be heading. We were in, you know, we were outside of Florence in Tuscany, and then we knew we were going to be going back. And so everyone was sort of weighing in, and every.、Uh, For the most part, everyone was saying because, like, the Uffizi is just like you have to reserve in advance, and so、um, a lot of people were saying that they should go to the Academia,、yes. and if they can see one thing, they see the David. And I just was like, I don't, I, I just don't you, think、though. so. I agree with you. Really? Because, yeah, that's one of the finest pieces of art I've yes, ever seen. Yes, but there are also、it、like and Michelangelo's sculptures outside where it's like the. Torsos busting out of marble, like I mean, I would wait in three hours for that too. I would over the Uffizi. But I just feel like, honest, especially in Florence, like you can't turn around without like walking into at least a really good fake David. So just like yeah, <laughs> the one on the little the piazza, the, right? The, yeah, it's、yeah. pretty fucking amazing. Go、yeah. to that piazza, look at the fake David, and then across that piazza <laughs> is also like the sculptures that are the Medusa.、Um, There's the rape of the Sabine women,、yeah. which I think、yeah. is so so beautiful, and just like you can be outside and looking at that, and then you can keep it moving, and you can go and you know. But have- I'm with you, and I would also say like the thing that I would say is Florence is a great example. Like the Duomo is amazing, right? Like, yes. And, and, and but I would also say back to Sebastian, like Sagrada Familia is more distinctive than the Duomo. Right. Like the Duomo is amazing, and it's and it's. Among the finest examples of what it is, Sagrada Familia is the finest example of a thing that doesn't exist anywhere else.、Mm-hmm. There's only one. It's、But、unique. Do you feel like it's the Great Wall of Spain, kind of like the thing that is truly yes, distinctive? Yes, it, it redefines cathedral. Like、mm-hmm. that's the thing.、Yeah. Is like you go to cathedrals all over Europe, and the Duomo is an amazing cathedral, and and Notre Dame is a is an amazing. And I, I I've been in Sevilla, and like the cathedral is amazing. It's like weird and interesting and. This is why I would say I wouldn't say this about everything, but Sagrada Familia is truly an original. You know, I did see sorry, it. I did see it. Sorry, I saw like, it from the then, outside. I mean, the outside the is amazing too. Like especially if you walk all the way around、yeah. and you see the front side where they've got all that modern shit, and then you go around the back and you see the old shit. Yeah, it's it's amazing. But is it being refurbed right now? Is it it's, under construction? It's done. I think it's, it's done. done it was、okay. under construction when I was there, and I don't know, two three years ago. It was under construction when I was there.、Okay. There are cranes still. It's been、up. under、yeah. construction for, for like, hundreds of、exactly. fucking years. <laughs> like that's the thing. Eighteen eighteen eighty something. I yeah. Believe. Yeah. 
and 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 that's that's another really kind of interesting thing about it that you don't find at cathedrals throughout Europe is that you get seriously like wacky modern interpretations of the original design happening on one side and then on the other side these very very gothic interpretations of that same vision right and the inside is a mix of those things too well, this I is did a- I did go sorry one thing no, go. I did go inside <laughs> one cathedral in Europe on this tour and that was in Cologne Okay, which is incredible. Yeah, okay. And that was because the venue we were playing at in Cologne was a little bit outside of the city. I walked around a little bit. I was like, okay, there's nothing here. And I had that day I literally had 1 hour off. So I <laughs> I got out, I got into a cab. I said, "Take me to that big cathedral." I drove to the cathedral. I walked around the cathedral for 30 minutes, got back in a cab, went back to the venue for sound check. Well done. And I, so I did that. And that was a, If I'm not mistaken, that cathedral was 600 years in the making. I believe it was 800. 800. <laughs> wow. Inflation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, we're putting up a piece today about this. Uh, what tourist attraction, like true tourist att- attraction, is worth the wait? We've had debates for the last week in our office about the Eiffel Tower and the Acropolis and... The Great the, Wall. The Great Wall the and the Blue Lagoon. Lagoon. And now it's the Familia. <laughs> Can we go around the table and say the one we would wait in line, like a three-hour line for? Yeah, don't start with me. All right. I would wait in a three-hour line to d- get on the Great Wall. Okay. It just running down. You can run down it. You can do whatever you want on it. I, when I was there, I it was a while ago. It was like 2007. Um, it was before the final Harry Potter book came out. And I just remember seeing graffiti because there's a lot of graffiti on. Is the Is that a wall. relevant milestone to the Great Wall? Yes, for this reason. Okay. Uh, there was the final plot point written out in graffiti no. on the Great Wall. It Whoa. said, I, "I mean, we've all read it at this point, right?" But I can spoiler just spoiler like, alert. Spoiler alert: Harry kills Voldemort, and I was just like, "What is going on?" So I'm in China. Like I'm in graffiti? <laughs> in graffiti? Yeah, it was spray painted on the Great Wall. Wow. The Great Wall is very tatted up right now, but um. It was worth it, and there are ways to not wait three hours to see it, and I think the views of Mongolia and China and just the the wall itself snakes along like the longest bridge you've ever seen, and it keeps going off to the horizon. It was unreal. Like we're talking about, like it redefines architecture. It redefines mm-hmm. what you know about a wall, right? right. I mean, yeah. it's unreal. It stays with you. So that's Sebastian. mine. I think for me it would be... I feel like the the answer I come up with is one that I didn't have to wait three hours in line for, and it's uh, Bored Budur and outside of Yogyakarta in Indonesia, it's a huge temple that went through like three or four different civilizations, and so you can see those civilizations as you climb it, as they put it in. There's Hindu sculptures, there's Buddhist sculptures, there's animist sculptures at the bottom. And you don't have to wait for three hours, and you can go at sunrise, and it's open, and you can be there as the sun rises. And you're just at the top of this mountain with Buddhist stupas as far as the eye can see. And then just the sun rising. I think that would be it. I, I didn't have to wait for three hours, but mm-hmm. I would. Yeah. Jaina. That's not in Europe, by the way. Are we doing Europe only? No, Ch- China's yeah. 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 China. None of you guys are in Europe. I know. We, we kind of went off course. in Europe. I think the Sistine Chapel. Because oh. mm. it's just God. That's an experience in and of itself. I mean, right? yeah, it's bonkers. Can I we think just yeah. Can we say the thing. Vatican in general, yeah. the Vatican Museum in general. I'd second Absolutely. that. Yeah. yeah, and like I, almost any, they had a lot of places in Rome like that, though. Yeah, I mean, Rome is Rome is special. Did, it you, is. did you have a moment in the chapel? Um, not even necessarily. I think it's just well. Our, 
<laughs> I feel like it's like, yes, because how can you not? Because it's just... I had more of a moment in the Raphael rooms outside the chapel than I did in the chapel itself. Yes, the rooms outside are extraordinary. All of it, the whole experience. Like, I can definitely remember. I feel like we've been talking about this because, like you said, we were talking about it in the office and, like, we were talking today about how sometimes you remember the line more than you even remember the place. And I think that that is the case. You know, that was my experience, I think, to some extent with going to the Louvre and, like, seeing the Mona Lisa. It's just, like, a nightmare. And it's so Mm -hmm. much smaller. I think the Sistine Chapel, what's impressive is it's actually bigger than Mm -hmm. what you're expecting. It's all-encompassing. It's everywhere. It's all around you. It's so, you know, it's... It feels ethereal. Yes, it's kind of overwhelming. And I think it's hard not to walk in and to have some kind of an experience. And even if you're, like, elbow to elbow with a billion tourists, it's also, like, there's something about, you know, with something like the Mona Lisa, it's like you're all sort of kind of trying to crane your necks, and if someone's taller than you, they have an advantage. Like, with the Sistine Chapel, you just have to, like fucking like look up and everyone can do that and everyone has the same view and it's like this great vantage point um the equivalent of the northern lights right in a a chapel right it's just like it the scope i think scope of things right Right. if it's impressive the mona lisa is the same size as starry night or uh, self-portrait and it's so tiny you're just like whatever and you're just fighting to sort of get to see it and you're just getting to the front so that you can say that you really saw it and then you're moving on to something else but the sistine chapel is like you're waiting in this ridiculous line and then it's like this payoff and I feel that it really is a payoff. I agree with that one too. But does it have to be that scale? Is there a small scale one we can think of? Well, you you brought it up with the Mona Lisa and I'm not arguing for the Mona Lisa. That would not be for me. But I do think, you know, we were talking the other day about Picasso and mm-hmm. I, I do feel like there are some paintings in Picasso. There are some Picasso paintings, for example. Maybe not Demoiselle, but you know, Maybe the Harlequins or, you know... Dormar, maybe. Maybe. Like, there are definitely painting... And, and you deal with this. This is what I would say. Like, I feel like I don't even remember how long I waited to get into Sagrada Familia. Like, I did the line. I don't even remember. It mm-hmm. didn't fucking matter. Like, mm-hmm. by the time I got in there, it's like pain of all kinds. Like, you forget. It's just gone. And the same thing with even the cathedral in Seville where I waited online for... I probably like an hour and a half or something. And it wasn't even the greatest sort of cathedral experience that I've had. And, you know, I just feel like these things, once you, you know, the same thing with the Vatican and the, and the, and the like, I, I just, I feel like, I, yes, I waited online. I have no idea how long. It didn't matter because once you got in there, once I got in there, the thing itself was so amazing that all of that melted away, and I don't even retain it. Yes, I think so. I think for me, for whatever reason, it is, you know, going to the Uffizi in Florence and seeing, like, going to the Botticelli room and seeing mm-hmm. Birth of Venus, and it's, there is something about, you expect it to be, or I expect it to be big, and it's not. <laughs> it's small. And then, but the Sistine Chapel is. But then, but yes. they're so tiny up there, like the 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 the, 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 the sort of like the sort no, of Adam but and like God the is like the ascension. Like experience is huge. Yeah. You're like enveloped <laughs> in it. You, you know? are, but the actual figures, like I, th- that was my experience of going in there. And Do you I, this need is not glasses? You need no. to wear glasses. Oh, come on, this <laughs> like, is not a bad blurry thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Like, but you're you're so far down, and like you know, Adam and God are so far away. But even they're actually that small. Is, they're like a small thing in a panoply of the whole thing. No, I think all of it is super impressive because it's. I all agree. together, put together, it's just like it's big. It's bigger than us. Yeah. I mean, I was I was seven years old the last time I saw it, and I remember it vividly still. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. True. 
I think it's, I mean, of course there are other things like there's like a Last Supper by Andrea del Sarto that's just outside of Florence. That's probably the most sort of, I don't know, memorable like art experience that I've had where you just walk in and I was like not expecting it to be so powerful and it was. But in terms of just like tourist attractions where you know you have to go and stand with like a bunch of people who like, let's be honest, you're going to probably feel like you're like somehow better than. (laughs) But you're in line with all these people and you're all like herded into a room like cattle. Um, That, you know, there are certain things like you're saying, like the Great Wall or like Sistine Chapel, like that are just sort of worth it and that transcend it. I think there's a lot more things than we're letting on. I think there's a lot of these. Check Sand Traveler. Yeah. Yeah. For our favorites. Well, we come back around because because we started with talking about all of this sort of pain that's happening in Europe right now. And at the same time, these things are they seem like a big deal in the media. And even in our media, like we write about this stuff, we publish about this stuff every day. But at the end of it all, these are small things, right? Like these are minor incidents. You will get past them. They are bumps in the road. And I think, I guess, our message to people, I suppose, would be you just have to go and you have to do what you need to do and you have to go and it's worth it. Just deal with these things. They are part of life. They happen in any place, right? Yes, and prepare for them a little bit. Get traveler yeah, exactly. insurance and get uh, a good data plan. And, and tell your mom where you're going. Tell your mom where you're going and like listen to her when she tells you to be careful, but don't let it and stand in your way. And text message her when, when things go In every city. When, goes, yeah. when things go south. Love you, mom. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, take the precautions, but don't cancel your trip. Yeah, absolutely. Don't cancel the trip. These things are worth the effort. Right. It's worth the effort. A little extra effort is is not a bad thing. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. Thank you, Jaina. We're going to miss you terribly. Uh, you're a wonderful podcast guest, a wonderful producer, and um, and I'm sure Laura is holding back tears because I know you're uh, – uh, an anchor of the team. I don't cry, but absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, guys. If I did. <laughs> but if I did, <laughs> now would be the appropriate time. Um, Love you, Jay. Thank you, Laura and Sebastian, for, for coming in. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We are also on SoundCloud. And don't forget to visit us on cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and a very, very active Snapchat lately. Let's go around the table, tell folks where to find you. Jaina. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at jwmalary and on Snapchat at jainamalary. And madewell.com very soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Laura underscore Redman at Instagram, and I am Danon825 on Twitter. Find me at Seb Modak on Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Bradrick. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend and travel to Europe. Bye.